Are you currently enjoying the show on the Stitcher app? Then you need to know Stitcher is going away on August 29th. Yep, going away, as in kaput, gone, dead. Rest in peace, Stitcher, and thanks for 15 years of service to the podcast community. So switch to another podcast app and follow this show there. Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Gang, since they opened in 2012, I've been talking about the amazing rehearsal spaces and fabulous recording studio at Space Rehearsal and Recording here in Austin. Well, gang, Space has upped their game over the last couple of years and added a couple of new factions. One is a video production studio. Space ATX has taken the major leap forward in their evolution to serve Austin's music community with their new video production department. They're now offering professional video production for bands, live streaming, live sessions, podcasts, and just about anything you can imagine. They've also added a creator studio. Maybe you want to take your TikTok or YouTube videos to the next level, or it's time to stop using your cell phone pics for all of your PR photos. Their newest production room is waiting for you. You can also book their in-house video or photography services or bring a freelancer to get the job done yourself. That's space, rehearsal, and recording located just a few short miles south of downtown Austin. They now offer rehearsal studios, audio recording, video production, a creator studio, and more. Go to spaceatx.com to find out more. And take the talent train from Schmoesville to Protown with space, rehearsal, recording, and video production. Let's get down. Johnny, I'm your host. Welcome to the show. I hope you guys all had a good weekend, whatever it is you did this weekend. I had a good weekend, man. It was good, man. It was, I played on um, Friday with Skyrocket at this, uh, at, I don't know, at this camp place outside of Georgetown. But it was actually a lot shorter show than we normally play. Usually the shortest we play is like two and a half hours, and that's like at a public show. But on Friday, we only played a uh, 75-minute set, and uh, that was interesting to do. You know, I spent more time looking for a place to eat, twice as much time at Soundcheck than we did actually playing the show. But anyway, it was a fun show. Uh, it was a weird show. It was like this international, uh, like kids that build rockets. So it was like very, very smart and intelligent people from all over the world, every country. They had all these different, uh, during their ceremony, they literally sang like 20 different national anthems because all the kids that were there anyway it was like sort of the end of their thing and it was the setting was like a, a summer camp like an old-time summer camp is what it felt like because it actually felt like we were playing on the set of meatballs <laughs> if you've ever seen that movie where bill murray's a camp counselor it felt like it was like a, it was like the rec room or the rec recreation hall of the of the camp that's where it was that we played Anyway, it was a good time. And then uh, Saturday, my cousin Emily had this giant garage sale. I went out to that with Rosie for a couple hours. We had a really great time. And the rest of the time, honestly, I just spent the, the rest of the time uh, working on on uh, on fastball stuff because I'm going to be doing shows with them starting at the end of the month in Pittsburgh and Michigan. I'm excited about that. But I just spent some time learning some songs, uh, you know, charting them out, learning them and, and walking Rosie and hanging out with Rosie and trying to stay out of the heat. Um. I did listen to a podcast and then ended up seeing a thing on 60 Minutes all about AI. And it's getting really freaky. There was a, a thing on Fresh Air about it this last weekend that was really good. And also a thing on 60 Minutes if you can find it. Uh, but it, it it's very freaky. It, it's really freaky. And it's like it's sort of now it's just unleashed. There's this thing called Bard that Google has. And, of course, there's ChatGPT. And they're getting it to, like, uh, write songs like uh, – all these different things. It was really, uh, it was really amazing and kind of freaky. In uh, in the in the fresh air story, the AI was talking about how it was frustrated and getting angry because it didn't like having the rules that Microsoft had imposed on it, and that was a little bit weird. 
you know, it's just weird because if these, these, these things become self-aware, then what happens? You know what I mean? And now it's like everywhere. It has all of our shit. It knows what we look like. It knows where we are. It's listening to me probably right now for my, my Google Nest. Who knows, man? Who knows? I mean, does it scare you? There's a lot of people doing music. Like there's a lot of, uh, uh, it, it hits the music a lot. Like what's going to happen now? Some people want to embrace it. I read this thing where Peter Gabriel talked about how like, hey, man, you know, it's just a new thing. Let's try and work it out. Look at the neat stuff it's doing to clean up the tracks for uh, Paul McCartney and the Beatles did to, to put out another Beatles song. Uh, also, you know, those things where Freddie Mercury singing like Creep by Radiohead or whatever, those things are kind of annoying and sound terrible. But uh, there's all kinds of, of, of different of different implications of this thing like they. There was one guy saying it could destroy the world. That's very scary to hear, you know, that we need to we need to regard this and and view it as 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 something like a, a global pandemic or like uh, what nuclear war would do. So that's scary as shit. I don't know, man. Where do you stand with AI? Where do you stand with this thing? Does it scare you? Does it keep you up at night? Do you engage with it? It's taking people's jobs. <laughs> it is. It is like it looks like accounting jobs, architecture jobs, uh, writing jobs, you know, get people to write synopsis of, of things. They were saying that it can't do the job of a lawyer, but it could do the job of a paralegal and things like that. So anyway, there there are a lot of implications to this world with this AI thing. And uh, and I know that there's a lot to think about. and There's a lot to sort of like, how are we going to. Uh, how are we going to stay ahead of something that is so intelligent and can learn so fast when it passes us? What happens? That's the big question. That's the big question, baby. Anyway, that's what's going on out there. Hey, gang, I want to remind you uh, that you can listen to the last 100 shows of, of How Did I Get Here? Wherever it is you stream and listen to this show, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Don't forget, Stitcher's going away at the end of August. So please Go and subscribe on a different platform, please. We're on all the platforms. Find How Did I Get Here with Johnny Gowdy and subscribe to it on a different podcast. If you're on Stitcher, get off Stitcher, get out of there and get it together, all right? And go back and listen to the last 100 episodes. There's so many great ones up there still. Doug Wimbish from uh, Living Color still up there. Peter Case is still up there. All kinds of great, the end of, uh, of, uh, of Quiet Company, my conversation with Taylor Muse, that's still up there. All kinds of great stuff, okay? So get out there and go scan, scan. If you're new to the podcast, if you're just getting here, uh, this isn't AI. This is the actual Johnny. I sound confused. I do a really good job of that, and I think that makes it that makes you know that I'm human and not AI. <laughs> so get out there and check out How Did I Get Here on all the platforms, all right? Check it out now. Gang, I have a great show for you guys today. Dan Storper, who is the CEO and founder of Putumayo World Music and also Putumayo, the Latin, uh, Latin American stores, uh, is my guest on the show today. Putumayo World Music, the record label, is celebrating 30 years in business a- this year. They have released over 300 albums. They've sold over 35 million records worldwide. But Putumayo began in 1975 as a Latin American handicraft shop in New York City. And then he expanded on that, opened a bunch of different stores all over New York City. Uh, you might remember the episode of Seinfeld where Elaine goes to Putumayo and and tries to get some uh, some Latin American stuff and ends up in a fight with them. I'll put a link to that in the text of this podcast because it's actually really funny. They were immortalized in an episode of Seinfeld. But anyway, he founded Putumayo World Music in 1993, and they're known for their joyful compilations of international music featuring album covers by British artist Nicola Heindel. Great, great, beautiful records, man. And they've released, uh, most recently, they released uh, Linda Ronstadt's musical soundtrack to her book. They have some releases that came out in June. Bossa Nova just came out on June 30th. Music uh, Acoustic Latino came out on June 16th. Just go to putomayo.com to get involved with that. And also, they're, they're on, some of the records are on the streaming services, but you do have to go and buy them and listen to them uh, where they tell you to, because that's the way, that's the only way you can really stay in business these days. And uh, Dan Storper knows all about that. Anyway, in 2021, uh, Dan and Putumayo World Music were awarded the Elaine Weissman Lifetime Achievement Award from Folk Alliance International. And, uh, and man, we have a really great conversation about his journey, about traveling the world and, and finding all this music for the last 30 years 
and uh, and coming around at a time when world music was really like sort of in the late '80s and early '90s, it really started taking off as like a thing. Peter Gabriel started that label, uh, Real World. That Nusrat Fatih Ali Khan became so famous back then in the '90s, and uh, you know this world music has really inspired so many other pop music artists that we listen to like Peter Gabriel or like Paul Simon and all kinds of different people. Anyway, Dan and I have a really fantastic conversation about his journey with Putumayo, both the store and the record label and just sort of his journey throughout the world. And, uh, so without further ado, this is me and Dan Storper, CEO and founder of Putumayo world music, uh, record label, and also Putumayo, the Latin American handicraft shop. All right, let's get down. Good to see you. Good to see you. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. Thanks for your interest. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course, man. This is a pretty exciting congratulations on 30 years, man. Where are you? I'm in Austin, Texas. And you're in Vermont? Okay. No, I was in Vermont for the, uh, we have an office there. Okay. Um, I live in New Orleans, actually. Oh, fantastic. Okay, um, I saw that. And then I was up last week, about a week ago for a 30th anniversary celebration. Cause we have an office up there where a lot of, you know, the music stuff gets done. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. What do you mean? What music stuff gets done there? Well, so when I started Putumayo many, many years ago and 30 years ago, um, it was really me and my business partner, Michael Krauss, mm-hmm. who, uh, he was mostly involved in sales. And I was the guy who was putting the albums together at that time. I was had retail stores, seven retail shops, and was designing uh, several uh, clothing collections, uh, clothing and handicrafts uh, from around the world. And so I was wholesaling. We were wholesaling that. So I had three different things going on. And, uh, you know, it became pretty overwhelming pretty quickly. Uh, and so within about three or four years, after I'd sold the clothing company in, uh, let's see, 97, I started in 93, sold the company in 97. Um, I brought in a guy to help me with music research since I'd been doing it pretty much all myself, uh, as we were growing and releasing more albums. So Jacob Edgar, who uh, became our head of A&R, A&R director and VP, um, he uh, started out in San Francisco. Then after he joined us, he moved to New York, Brooklyn. And then after a few years, when he was raising his kids, decided to move to Vermont. So I, I don't know exactly when it was, but about 10 years ago, he bought a an old farmhouse and a barn and a music studio. And so he basically set up shop there, planning to open his own label called Kumbancha. And he said, Dan, I'm going to have to leave. And I said, well, you know, I don't think Putumayo necessarily takes you full time. So how about continuing on a freelance basis? And that's what happened. So it became, uh, and we have a full-time person or almost full-time person working up there with him. So they, that's where kind of the music database of 60,000 songs is developed. Uh, Jacob, I mean, I do a lot of traveling and research for music, but uh, Jacob is really the guy who, sifts through thousands and thousands of songs to send me, you know, 75 to a hundred each week that I listen to Jesus. in addition to what I find on my own. And from those songs, we pick the songs that end up on physical Putumayo CDs or the digital EPs that we've been doing, or the first um, full digital album that's coming out on June 16th, Acoustic Latino. Oh, congratulations. Have that Thank down. you. Yeah, you've got a couple. Bossa Nova also comes out on the 30th. Is that going to be full digital release as well? That's actually a full CD album. It's been moved back to July, I believe, 26th. It was okay. Friday, the last Friday of the month of July. Um, but that's going to be a CD and a digital uh, available digitally as well. And with 20 or so of the most recent albums, we've added digital download cards. So when someone buys a CD, they also get a free download card along with it. They, of course, could buy the digital download as well, or they could, in most cases, stream most of the tracks. Not every track is available for streaming, but a number of them are. Yeah, I went through your Spotify, uh, which is weird because it's hard for a label to have a Spotify. Yeah. Well, we do. It's funny because we do 
have on the Kudama Discovery, which is the new EP release and singles release, uh, we we have been able to set up a kind of Kudamaya presence on Spotify for the new stuff. But the old ones, it's harder. Um, but if you enter Kudamaya on Spotify or Apple Music, Pandora, uh, Amazon, um, uh, YouTube's harder, but you know you can get to the playlists. Um, you might have to do a little extra work, but Putumayo does have a presence if you, you know, use the Putumayo, P-U-T-U-M-A-Y-O, which is often misspelled. It's not puto. No, it's not puta, which, you know, <laughs> right. has another meaning. Right. I'm Cuban, and a lot of times we call other dudes putos. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, one of the frequent thing, I think for a long time we had to redirect for both Puta Mayo and Puto Mayo, <laughs> as well as Putu Mayo, which is the main thing. And Puto Mayo actually is a river and valley in Southern Colombia that flows into the Andes, uh, in, into the Amazon uh, in Brazil, but it runs along the border between Ecuador and Peru as well. Right. So it touches on these four major countries where I'd start, you know, I was a Latin American studies major in college. And so I got my start really traveling and visit the countries I'd studied and falling in love with, in love with the handicrafts and starting a business in New York in 1975, which is now, I guess, 48 years ago, uh, called Putumayo, selling handicrafts from Latin America initially and then around the world and then clothing. So that's kind of the genesis from where how Putumayo began. Yeah. Um, very quickly, I would like to tell like some people that may not know I didn't remember the Seinfeld episode until I started watching the the clip thing that the that the publicist sent me, and I was like, "Oh, I remember that one." And uh, well, did you do something to them? <laughs> did you do something to someone? Did you treat someone badly at Seinfeld? <laughs> no, it's really funny when we got to you know basically. I guess they needed us to sign off on the script. And the funny thing about this was that was 1997. And the day that Seinfeld episode was supposed to air uh, was the day I was signing the contract, the agreement to sell my retail shops and my wholesale <laughs> business. So I had all these friends saying to me, Dan, you can't sell your business. You're going to be on Seinfeld. You're going to be big, you know? And I, uh, a good friend of mine said, Dan, you're so done with it. Get it over with. Sell, you know, I was done with it. And it turns out that there was a big New York Post article uh, called The Curse of Seinfeld. And virtually all of the people that were feeding the retailers right, and right. restaurants that were featured on Seinfeld ended up going out of business. Um, so it, in any event, that was the day uh, I actually sold my retail business to focus full time on music. And what was nice about it, interesting about it, was uh, we were down at a music conference, I think, in Orlando. Uh, and we had to sign off on the script to make sure that there would be nothing that they, you know, we could go back and sue them for or something. So um, they sent us this massive script and we're sitting around the pool. And my business partner is a little bit like Kramer, you know, <laughs> Michael Krause. And so he played the Kramer role and was reading the Kramer dialogue. We're sitting around the room. You know, I don't remember who played Elaine. Uh, I think I was Seinfeld. And we were kind of listening to the script. And, you know, it was this massive script that they obviously edit down when they do the shooting. Right, right. Uh, but it was just funny to be sitting there. And and we did ask them to change one thing. Um, uh, uh I think Elaine was saying, you know, we're going to put Putumayo out of business. You know, they sell that ethnic crapola. And I said, <laughs> you can't use crapola. You know? <laughs> well, I've, how did it end up for, for the, for the new owners? Did they? <laughs> well, I think it, you know, it, it, it's one of the things that's always fascinating. It's just funny because Cirque du Soleil contacted me after that episode ran because they thought, you know, I had somehow an in with Seinfeld because they wanted, you know, they were doing marketing and promotion. I think the reality is that um, we heard the story that one of the um, writers at Seinfeld was a woman. There weren't that many female writers, but one was a woman who was a fan of Putumayo and thought this might make a nice segment for an episode. Yeah. And uh, the reality is that, yes, it, it certainly reminded people uh, of Putumayo, um, 
but it wasn't like the same kind of thing where you get like the CBS Sunday morning feature that we got that was viewed and shown in a number of different stores, or you get an NPR all things considered feature. Um, This one was more just a a kind of a way of kind of, I mean, it was just lovely and funny. I'm a huge Seinfeld fan. So it's something to talk about talking point for, for decades. Yeah. That's interesting because definitely like the NPR and and CBS Sunday morning crowd is people that would be more likely to go like buy one of those records or, or, or go into the store. Yeah. And I think we tried when we sent them, you know, they used a lot of the props from the store, you know, for the set that they yeah. recreated um, and, and must've been a sound stage in Hollywood somewhere, you know, um, but, uh, and we tried to have the music stand out because at that point we were, you know, I was focusing on music. So the sure. thing was really mostly about the episode was mostly about the store. Sure. Now, what's funny about it is <laughs> Michael Krause, who was, um, my business partner helped start Putumaya with me, um, ha- had been running a comedy club in New York called Catch a Rising Star. Oh yeah. Very so famous my, club. My, yeah, Exactly. And he was ready for a change. So he became our sales director and, and co-founder. And the funny thing was uh, when the Seinfeld episode came up and he ended up playing Kramer, he said, you know, I'll never forget the fact that when uh, Jerry Seinfeld used to come uh, on, you know, you know, would, would try and do tune ups and come to catch a rising star. I just never thought he was going to be successful. <laughs> you know, I never thought he'd make it. But that guy, Ted Blumberg, I thought he was going to be a huge star. <laughs> <laughs> and we both, you know, it's very funny what ends up, you know, and obviously uh, uh, Larry. Um, David. David. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, the teamwork and the selection, I mean, of of people and the writing, it was just, you know, it's one of the great shows of all time. So, uh, you know, we recognize what it takes now. I mean, I don't recognize what it takes, but I think we appreciate, you know, what must be behind some creating something like that, especially, um, and I don't want to keep going into the comedy realm, right, right. Uh, but I was just interviewed for a book about Sid Caesar because, um, his son was my best friend growing up. Oh, awesome. And, and, uh, you know, this guy was doing 90 minutes live every week. Uh, yeah. you know, if you think about it, what's yeah. involved in doing something like that, you know, you, ex, you know, you, you know, it, it takes a toll 30 minutes live a week would take a toll on a person, but that, you know, doing that for so many years, 90 minutes, that's insane. That is insane. Also, he was doing commercials like the commercials probably yeah. as well at that time. Exactly. Um, yeah. And they change, you know, they'd have, how long would they take 30 seconds to change clothing yeah, to yeah. get into the next routine? Yeah. Yeah. I, I saw him on Broadway play uh, the lead in little me, this, this play that he played nine different characters and, you know, it was just, that's his skill set. He just uh, had a natural and developed talent at, at mimicry and, and comedy. And you know, I don't know that there's been anyone like him to ever come along. Yeah. Did you grow up in New York? I grew up in a little, uh, town called great neck outside of New York. It was a suburban community. Um, and so, you know, there were actually, it had a lot of comedians. So I don't know this thread of comedy. Um, Alan King lived there four doors down. If you know, remember a guy named professor Erwin Corey, Mm -mm. but he was the, crazy professor. He lived four doors down and, um, very popular on a lot of the talk shows. Uh, and he was, uh, best friends with my, another good friend of mine, best friends, uh, a parent. So I saw him and, and, you know, it was a town where, um, and I grew up actually one of Ricky Caesar's, uh, close friends and my close friend is a kid named Michael Kaufman, who was Andy Kaufman's brother. So wow. we would go, you know, so you have Alan King, Sid Caesar, Andy Kaufman, Irwin Corey. And then before that, years before that, Groucho Marx, W.C. Fields grew up in that town. So obviously something about it attracted uh, comedians. Yeah. Jesus, that's amazing. Yeah. So let me ask you this. What was your, uh, like, uh, when you were growing up, how, 
what was your connection to music? Like, did you play any instruments or anything or, or. Well, I took piano lessons. I was never very good at it. And I always liked music when I heard it, of course, like any kid growing up. And, you know, this was a period in the, when I was growing up in the fifties and sixties that you had, um, these novelty songs, I want novelty is not the right word, but it, you know, it seemed like more open than in mainstream radio. So you had people like Harry Belafonte come along with right. his Calypso song. Right. And, th and then in the sixties, you had these exotic sounds of people like Mary McCabe's Pata Pata, Hugh Masekela, uh, Masekela grazing in the grass. Um, uh, you know, a, Bunch of songs. And then Herb Albert and the right, Tijuana Brass right. had very Latin oriented sounds. So, you know, you'd hear that on the radio. I always responded to it. And, uh, you know, I think really that was probably the beginning. And then when I started and opened my first shop uh, selling clothing and handicrafts in Latin America in 1975 uh, in New York City, I thought I had to create a musical environment that was a little bit like, you know, you leave the streets of New York and you. Sure somehow find yourself in a marketplace yeah. in the Andes. Uh, so I started bringing back albums, music uh, record albums from the Andes, which I'd mix up with, uh, you know, Bob Dylan and Bonnie Raitt and uh, James Taylor and other people I liked. Um, and really was when I had my own stores and eventually I started opening more stores in New York, uh, Boston and Washington, I lost track of the music. And so the Putumai World Music Story that began 30 years ago, um, the actual first releases were 30 years ago, began a little earlier than that, started uh, with a return trip from Indonesia. I'd been starting to import from India and Indonesia for my stores, uh, and I was coming back, stopped in Golden Gate Park in San Francisco, uh, where I uh, was going to see an exhibit at the De Young Museum of Indonesian textiles, a friend of mine uh, had curated. And on my way to the museum, I heard these sounds coming out of a thicket in the park and I turned the corner and there was a scene that I'll never forget, this Afro pop band called Katoja performing. And there were probably 75 or a hundred people of all ages and ethnic backgrounds dancing together on this gorgeous day in this beautiful uh, park and it felt like a real magic moment uh, and I was struck by how the music had brought you know just it was such a good vibe um, and I, I couldn't forget it um, and then a few days later I walked into one of my stores on the Upper West Side in New York City and they were kind of playing as thrash metal music and uh, <laughs> I'll never forget uh, saying you know giving thanks to the guy who was the assistant manager who had different musical tastes for playing because I don't know if I would have ever found my way to uh, doing this if I hadn't been pissed off about the music that he was playing right. and decided that I, I needed to go find better more appropriate music to play in the Putumayo store so that started a journey going to record stores asking people researching and putting together the first mixed tapes that were sent down to the stores and uh, I'll never forget getting calls from the managers that afternoon, that day, saying, oh, my God, you have no idea what a difference it's made. The staff, I've never seen the staff happier. Customers are coming up to the counter every couple of minutes asking about songs. And it just seemed to transform the environment. And that led me to think that maybe there's a future with this. And I was looking around. I was getting sick and tired of the clothing business. Um, and I happened to be a member of a group called the social venture network that had people like Ben and Jerry and Anita Roddick from the body shop, Reebok and others. And the co-founder of Rhino records, a guy named Richard Foose. Oh yeah. And I approached him about the idea of doing, uh, a collaboration, a world music compilation series. He liked the idea. It took a while to get going, but uh, that's really what happened was that it was a partnership or a collaboration at first. Uh, we, we collaborated on six albums starting in April of 93 with the first two. And uh, they did the licensing and production. We put together the liner notes, did the sequencing, made the song selections, and they released it to the record stores. And then we started developing what we call the non-traditional market, which is the stores that had been buying clothing and handicrafts from Putumayo. Now we could offer them CDs to sell. And many of them said, 
we'll give it a shot and we're successful at it. So that led me finally on a path that was able, enabled me to kind of get out of the clothing business and focus on music, which I did and sold the retail stores on that day that the Seinfeld episode aired. So, <laughs> so, so in essence, you started your own extremely targeted distribution company. It, yeah, pretty much. I mean, we had already been selling to a lot of those stores, uh, wholesaling clothing and handicrafts. As far as so like music. First, yeah. Yeah. So then, you know, it wasn't that big a, a stretch for Michael and me to go to the stores and say, you know, we've started offering these CDs. Well, why don't you give it a try? And we started what we call the no risk trial offer, getting retailers to test them out. And, and most had good success. I, I do remember one, you know, it took us, and one of the reasons we ended up leaving Rhino was that, you know, they wouldn't work as quickly as we needed to, to keep the thing going. Right. Um, and so I will, I'll never forget going into a store who said to me, I, you know, I don't think I can ever listen to Putumayo again because this owner of the store that I work for, you know, it took us nine months to get the second batch of second CDs out. And she said, the owner made us play these, your first two CDs nonstop every day for nine months because we were selling them and they weren't selling other stuff. Other music. So it was just, that was the thing. And she said, I, I just, that was too much. So it turned into some form of torture for the poor employees. Exactly. Put a mild torture. Um, so were you, were you able to, to like after the Rhino thing and then you had your, your, your targeted distribution thing, did you also get it out into record stores as well? Did you ever have to like find a bigger distributor? Yeah. Yeah, we did. We we uh, initially parked, partnered with a company called Ryko Disc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Later closed, um, and then we went uh, to what was their distributor, um, or they had a. I think they had a collaboration. Or maybe it was a different company called Koch, who's changed their name right. over the years, um, and now is called MNRK. And they are our primary digital distributor now. And then we are distributing through. Uh, a company called Amp that works with AEC through to record stores. So um, we did in the old days sell uh, directly to a bunch of record stores uh, after Rhino stopped uh, distributing. Um, uh, back in the day when there was a Borders and yeah, you know, yeah. but we were yeah. also opening up as direct accounts people like Whole Foods and right. uh, you know it, uh, a lot of people think we sold to Starbucks but we didn't. Um, People would see our CDs at Barnes and Noble on the Starbucks counter if they were had a, a coffee shop, but um, we never sold to Starbucks. Um, and that became funny because we just had our 30th anniversary up in Burlington, Vermont, a little celebration with these wonderful artists who are on our digital compilations. Uh, they're from like six different countries. And our marketing director from that time came up and I always tease him and he teases me because we had met with Starbucks and they made us an offer that my marketing guy thought we couldn't refuse. And I refused it because it didn't make sense to me. And, uh, so I said, you know, we could, we had an album called music from the coffee lands. So I said, you know, we could use it to open up all these cafes and food places like Whole Foods. And, you know, I thought it would be more valuable than having it just be on the Starbucks counter. So I decided to, uh, say no, but, um, yeah, I mean, sometimes, uh, you know, I, I look back and I think about the twists and turns of the music business. I was very uh, late to the digital party. So when we were going through the whole thing, I'm, you know, I'm still quite wed to the package, physical package of a CD. And now it does include a download card. But the beauty of the digital series, the Putama Discovery series we're now doing is that, you know, we, we have the ability to release so much more great music of CDs. You can only do four or six a year. Uh, now, you know, we're doing uh, a five song EP every other week. And uh, we just, as I mentioned, have our first upcoming full digital album coming out on June 16th called Acoustic Latina. So Putumayo now, um, even though we're still doing CDs, the uh, releasing CDs, the, the primary uh, vehicle now is the digital series, uh, Putama Discovery. Good. 
mean, it's that's a tough. Uh, I'm 54, and I've been uh, playing in bands and stuff since I was 14, and very huge music fans. So I I I I know the reluctance to <laughs> to what's happening. And the funny thing is, vinyl, which has taken off, is is problematic from a production standpoint, totally. but also uh, financially, it's a, a, a risky. We tried it once; it didn't work out as well as I'd hoped. But um, uh, and also, the non traditional market that we sell to doesn't really uh, hasn't embraced vinyl. It takes up a lot of space. It's not easy, right? Um, but you know, I think there is a potential market, so we're you know considering it. It seems like either you you did a lot of trial and error or you really did a lot of like market research before you went to market. Did you do is that because just like the idea of Whole Foods and all of the places that you went with it are all places where I would assume these records would sell. Yeah, I think the idea was we'd already started with a network of mostly clothing oriented stores because they were selling our clothing and handicrafts and the handicrafts were being sold in fair trade stores, import stores. So that's where it began. And then uh, my business part, I hated doing the trade shows, the gift shows and stuff. So my business partner, Michael Krause, he, we started doing uh, book shows so we could uh, appeal hopefully to more bookstores, museum shop shows so we could sell to more museums. So if, if you have an exit, exhibit or gourmet show where you know stores selling gourmet foods so we, we really experimented with the trade shows and then i love traveling around as i continue to do visiting stores trying to find places where the music and now we also distribute children's books um multicultural children's books so i you know we've been uh trying to develop that network for years and that's the probably unique strength that Budamaus had is not just curating and presenting physical CDs that people could sell with liner notes and uh, many with um, recipes and, and other information that's interesting. Uh, but you can, uh, you know, find that one of the great stories I love telling. Uh, we were visiting uh, a, a store in, uh, in uh, Amsterdam. We had an office outside of Amsterdam for years and, um, and one of the retail shops told us a story about this elderly couple who could no longer travel and they'd stop into their, this retail customer that was selling Kudama CDs maybe once a month. And they'd look at each other and say, well, where should we travel to tonight? And they'd buy a Kudama CD and they'd cook a meal from the region where the music came from. That's so, awesome. Isn't that a sweet story? So yeah. I love that story. That was kind of an example. And I will say, you know, we, we do have uh, music on our playlist. That's great for, you know, if you are cooking a French or Italian dinner, obviously we've released a, a lot of, uh, not obviously, but we've released a number of collections of yoga oriented music, um, relaxation right. type music. So the hope is always that Puto is in our, in our curation, the thing that takes me probably the most time is a process, not just of selecting songs and licensing them, but sequencing them in a way that takes you on a musical journey that, as we say, is guaranteed to make you feel good. And you can experience, and, and then if you're interested, you could dig deeper. And yeah. uh, I, I did the, uh, not just the content of what's inside the album, but you've also managed to find a look for the album that expresses that as well through one artist. Yeah, right? and that happened totally coincidentally. I mean, if you go back to the beginning, most of the things that really were, uh, you might be considered, you know, might consider the unique aspects of Kudamai often happened by accident. Um, we had these kind of, world import stores selling clothing and handicrafts. And I had a, a woman who did all the uh, window displays and interior uh, kind of design. And she had a friend uh, who was an illustrator from England. One day she came into my office and saw a greeting card that I had on my bulletin board that I had picked up in a store in London. And I love this illustration style. I didn't know who did it. Or maybe it was, you know, on the card, but I never thought to look into finding her. But we were getting ready to start the record label. And so she came into my office and said, you see that card on your bulletin board? 
she, uh, that woman is named Nicola Heindel. She's from London and, and she's a friend of mine and she's coming to New York in a few days. Do you want to meet her? Whoa. And I said, wouldn't that be nice? Of course I'd like to meet her. And we met for lunch and I asked her if she'd like to illustrate the first couple of uh, album covers and she did and people liked them. And I said, let's continue that way. So, I mean, again, this is one of those things. I, I think there is some, I don't know what it is, uh, kind of, it's not just coincidence. There is like a, a world of people that should be together, that should meet each other. You don't always do that. But if you're open to the idea or if you're lucky and, and you happen to be in the right place at the right time and something comes along, uh, you know, I think I've been very fortunate for those kinds of experiences to happen in a, in a kind of serendipitous or organic way. That's beautiful, man. Yeah, it's true. It seems like there's been some real serendipity that's happened in your life, some stuff that's really meant to happen. Yeah, it does. It's hard to it's hard to believe it's 30 years for the record label or even, you know, close to 50 years since I started the Kudamayo Clothing Company. I was 23 when I opened the shop in New York City, and uh, it's been a long road. But, um, you know, I, I, I always wanted to find a way to be able to make a living from travel. And, uh, you know, from a, the time I was a young kid, I used to read <clears throat> the Dr. Doolittle books about this doctor that would travel and, and could speak to the animals. I, I would read all kinds of, like Jules Verne and other the world explorer um, books. And uh, so I think, you know, I was always looking for a way to be able to travel. And I went to... Uh, semester abroad program in Madrid, uh, during college. And it was at that time I really said, you know, I got to figure out how to have a career, uh, that is based on my being able to travel. And that led to my first trip, um, to South America, uh, to, to visit the countries I studied cause I was a Latin American studies major and in another serendipitous and maybe the, the origin story of Putumayo. Um, I was in a little river and valley in Southern Colombia, um, collecting handicrafts in this little village called Simundoy, beautiful place. It was a Easter holiday and what they call carnival celebrations, um, were happening or, um, and everyone was dressed up in their getting dressed up in their carnival costumes, these beautiful, colorful outfits. It was a gorgeous day. I was sitting on the side of a little stream that ran into the Putumayo in the Putumayo Valley. Uh, the mountains were in the distance. It was very green and uh, birds were chirping and flying around these absolutely beautiful birds. And I just said, wow, there's something magical here in this Putumayo Valley. And I love the name Putumayo. That's why I decided to call it Putumayo. And, uh, the reality is that that area actually became a terrible, uh, ch terribly challenging drug um, infested and uh, civil war, you know, just uh, uh, guerrilla activity. And so the, the reality is, I think the handicrafts, the clothing and now the music, you know, is a way that these incredible cultures that have, are creative that do beautiful things and you can add dance and art and everything else to that, um, have found a way to, you know, survive and, and persevere in difficult situations, uh, rise up above their problems. And I think music is obviously one of the primary ways people can do that. Definitely, man. It's interesting in a world that, or at least in a country, I don't know what's going on in the rest of the world right now as much as I do here, but with so much division and all this stuff, there is this one thing that, like, I play music. I'm I'm in a lot of bands. It's it's what I do. And I'm in like just the other day, uh, on last Monday, my band played the uh, Texas State Senate end of session party. Ended up hanging out, mm. and talking to a few people that were definitely politically on the other side of 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 my thought processes. But uh, we talked about music, and it was so uh, nice and and. Like they were nice people, you know what I, you saw the humanity in these people, 
you connect yeah. on this thing. We're, yeah, it's music reminds you that we're connected in a lot more ways than, than we think we are. Yeah, and I, it's funny because I'm writing a book at the moment um, that's completely disconnected in a certain way, not entirely from the day-to-day work that I do at Putumayo, but it's about the quest for peace and justice and political struggles of the 1960s. And it's because of a story that I heard um, told by a friend of mine who grew up in New Orleans, and it got me intrigued in what was really going on in the 1960s uh, politically and the search, you know, civil rights and Vietnam and a lot of other things that were going on. And uh, one of the things that it's brought me into is just uh, how many different people inhabited that world. And musically, uh, it doesn't matter whether you, I mean, for the most part, you know, people can appreciate a great song. In fact, one of the things I've said when I was starting out, I would do these interviews for CNN or whatever. I'd say, if you, you could pull a hundred people randomly from the street, any city street, New York, Austin, wherever, and you played them some pop hit of the day and you played them some great world music, reggae song, whatever, and asked them which one they preferred. I bet a lot of times 50% or more would, would actually appreciate the world music song. Yeah. They just don't get a chance to hear it. And I think, you know, that kind of gets to the heart of what Kudamaya tries to do is the world is, uh, has an ocean of music that is overwhelming. And our role is to try and, or we believe our role is to try and identify those pearls, those beautiful songs that people would love if they could hear them. Yeah. Were you inspired by like Peter Gabriel's real world label and stuff like that? And what he was to the artists that he was bringing to light? Well, I think there was a moment when world music was just starting to come into the uh, mainstream popularity. I mean, I remember when we did released our Cuba album, Buena Vista Social Club was coming out, yeah, right, right. and that ratcheted up the awareness. Um, when Real World, Peter Gabriel, got started, we had just, I think he had gotten started a little earlier, so I wasn't as familiar. I was obviously listening to his music, and there were some great artists we included early on in our first compilation but i will tell you you know i remember going with michael uh i co-founded uh england and ireland and scotland to meet some of the artists that we were working with and and peter gabriel invited us us to his studio and you know i mean on stage he's this very you know in a sense flamboyant and a showy kind of guy and person (laughs) he's just this laid back, totally charming, natural guy made, I think he made us lunch. It was just, uh, you know, showed us the studio and, and you realize that this world of music brings together some of the most special people. And, you know, if they can pull it together in such a way that they can write songs and, and they play an instrument well, or, you know, present themselves in a certain way and bring it all together. And I think Peter Gabriel certainly did a remarkable job of, both identifying um, and also, you know, putting together artists to create music that was special Uh, as did David Byrne and some of the other artists that Paul uh, Simon, Paul Simon. Yeah. 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 uh, At that time, it's funny at, at that time, like late eighties, early nineties, I wore a lot of, uh, of Guatemalan print shorts and pants on stage. I think I even had a Guatemalan. Oh, and vests as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was, you know, there was a funny thing happening where uh, parents, preppy parents who had a store on 73rd and Lexington would sometimes I'd bump into them or they'd say, you know, I don't know, you know, this peasant clothing, this (laughs) ethnic clothing that you're selling. On the one hand, I'm not crazy about it. Yeah. But on the other hand, it's keeping our, our young girls, our girls, uh, out of uh, blue jeans and right. uh, shorts, yeah. they you know they're wearing skirts. I think that was the thing about Putumayo clothing that I think people liked was the fact that it was loose and flowy, and it didn't feel constrictive. It was I think in in the spirit of the idea that you know you shouldn't be, you right. know you have to live in this world, but you shouldn't be overly constrained, and and that's why you know the other thing I never wanted to do was have a job where I had to wear a tie and jacket every day. Right. I, I definitely got that from you <laughs> through this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> but
But what a fantastic uh, story. I'm glad that you're writing a book, even though it's not a memoir, but somebody who has has really like found their passion and you you've lived that thing of uh, if you find something you love to do for a living, you'll never work a day in your life. And you definitely have that sort of Yoda calm about you at this point in your life where you're like, yeah, it's all good, man. <laughs> well, it's funny. I think the thing going back to the book is that I see life is a very yin yang scenario. There's a lot of suffering and struggle in sure. the countries that I visited. So I don't want to deny that. I recognize there's a reality and a political reality. And I think that I have, you know, kind of both the, uh, you know, trying to understand the positive sides of things as well as the understand what created some of the negativity that exists in the world. So if you're out to try and change things and, and lessen reliance on military war, et cetera, right. which is one of the natural directions you take when you're finding music that brings people together, you want to figure out other things that can make a difference in the way uh, the world operates. Yeah, definitely. Uh, before we go, I do want to talk to you about this uh, Linda Ronstadt soundtrack that you did. Sure. Yeah. How did you get connected with her? Well, you know, it's funny. Um, like you mentioned, uh, and we, we were discussing people like David Byrne and, and uh, 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 Peter Gabriel. The reality is there are a lot of great musicians who have always been inspired by international sounds, yes. especially as they grew up uh, with them. And right. Linda grew up in Arizona. Her father was actually a, a great singer of Mexican songs, had, you know, half Mexican, half German background. Um, so she was very inspired by her uh, Mexican connections um, and so, and grew up singing some of those songs. And so when she did her, her Mexican themed album, I didn't realize that she'd done three or four. Right. Um, I paid attention, but also, you know, it was her thing. I, I didn't know her. I'd never met her, but it turns out that a guy that I met who's a publisher of a company called Heyday Books based in Berkeley, the nonprofit book publisher had been Linda's, uh, agent book agent when she did uh one or two previous books and she had this idea of uh and i think it was he and she together had this idea of more of a memoir that paid homage to the region correct the borderlands region where she grew up and that included everything from some of her writings letters that she wrote about her parents her background music that inspired her and especially food that inspired her then. So includes recipes. So she was working on this memoir with a co-author and, um, this guy called me up and said, uh, you know, we're working with Linda on this memoir that we're going to publish. Uh, how do you, you know, we were talking and we thought maybe Putum might be interested in doing a companion CD. And I said, wow, that's interesting. Let me go back and listen to her music. And so we ended up collaborating on this. Um, and, you know, she obviously had to approve the songs that we ended up selecting. It wasn't brand new songs. I went back to her repertoire. And also we were able to include, um, the, the book is called Feels Like Home. Um, and the album is called uh, Feels Like Home, Linda uh, Ronsett's Musical Odyssey. And so it includes... Uh, people like Ry Cooter and Jackson Brown and even some of the people like uh, Emmylou Harris and, and Dolly Parton who sung on songs with sure. her. And then some wonderful Mexican groups like Los Ensaltes and others who, so we, we just put together an album and people seem to really like it. And uh, so, uh, yeah, it, it's, um, it's a good example of how something can come together another in an organic way, you know, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't have, thought to do that but you know when it was proposed to me it, it made total sense right yeah man what a yeah this is you've, you've really a, a made a great uh community you know what i mean with these businesses thank you yeah thank you yeah we've tried you know it's a, you know i don't want to get people thinking this is an easy thing um, and, you know, I joke that Jacob Edgar, who is the music researcher I talked about before, has the best job at Putumaya because he's spending his time looking for music and traveling. And he also um, 
uh, as I mentioned, has his own label called Kumbansha, and he leads the music part of tours by National Geographic and uh, Lindblad Explorer. So he's actually going tomorrow on a tour, and we, he'll send me photographs from his the road while I'm sitting here working on, uh, you know, I don't just listen to music. I have the day-to-day operational side of the business. So, uh, but, I, you know, I think I'm very fortunate to be able to spend the time doing what I enjoy for the most part enjoy doing. Yeah. Do you ever get to Austin? Like, do you come to South by Southwest and stuff like that? Well, it's funny. I, I was in Austin a few weeks ago. Um, I, I, on my travels, you know, um, to visit retail stores. So, you know, I went to, uh, San Antonio, um, Houston and Austin to visit stores that we sell to, uh, like, 10,000 villages in uh, Austin. And uh, a lot of the stores now don't sell the CDs, but sell the children's books uh, that we distribute. Um, But we, we do have a bunch that do still sell the CDs. And so, yeah, I'll take a trip. I'm actually going to Marta, Northern California, uh, San Francisco area to visit some stores. Um, I also do interviews to the book I was telling you about. And uh, I'm helping some people, involved in films and podcasts. So that, uh, touching on the 1960s. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't, sometimes I have to keep track. I don't really know what's (laughs) going on at any one moment. I got to check my schedule (laughs) and my notes. (laughs) Well, you're a really great interview. Like you, you just, you've got, you know, your thing very well. I don't think I said much. Well, this, might be, this might be the least I've talked in one of these, which is good. <laughs> well, and, and I have to apologize sometimes <laughs> because I can go on and on. No, you're uh, like a dream guest. <laughs> well, thank you. I, mean, yeah. I appreciate you take it. You look at it that way. Yeah, of course. Um, well, I was going to ask you about Austin. There's a band I bet you would really like this group of women named Leyline. L-E-Y. How do you spell it? L-E-Y. L I N E two different, two different words. Uh, but they've, they've spent time. Like, uh, one of them has gone and studied talking drum in Africa for like months at a time. And, uh, they went and, and toured and traveled all through, uh, South America and Brazil and stuff. And like wrote all this music and worked with all these folk artists from there. They're a really interesting group, but I bet you would really like them. They I'll check them out. Seem to they have in. music online. They have music online. Yeah. A lot of really good music. Oh, um, uh, thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it. And feel free. You know, I'm just Dan at, well, don't, don't yeah, publish don't, this. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> that was great. Um, no, I'll find you. I'd be more than happy to, like, I, I, I'd like to meet you sometime when you come here, go get a drink or go get some coffee or something. Yeah, sounds good. Thank yeah. you so much. Dan, yeah, this has been really great. Everyone can find uh, Putum, Putumayo at putumayo.com. All of the things are there, the children's books, your community work. The records, the whole thing, and and of course the digital EP downloads and streaming you can have yes. access to. So uh, yeah, we, we're pleased that we've been able to do that, and it's organized also by country and region. So you can check out if you want to go to Africa, you want to go to Europe, wherever. It's fantastic. All right, thank dude, you, man. Thank you so much for doing this. Take show, care. Man. You too. Bye. Good luck. You too. Gag, that was Dan Storper. If you want to find out more about Putumayo World Music, uh, the record label, go to putumayo.com. Great, great conversation there. Also, don't forget that they just released Linda Ronstadt's musical soundtrack to her book. Go out there and check that out. Bossa Nova, which came out on June 30th, and Acoustic Latino, which came out on June 16th. That was a great conversation. I really enjoyed talking to Dan. I'd really like to meet him in person someday. Get out there and get involved by going to putumayo.com. And gang, don't forget when you're out there checking out Putumayo. Subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you find podcasts, be it uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, anywhere you find podcasts. If you are listening to us on the Stitcher app, Stitcher is going away on August 16th, 2023, or August 29th, sorry. Get rid of that thing. Go subscribe on another platform and follow us. Leave us a rating. Let us know how we're doing. Follow us on Facebook. How did I get here? You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Johnny Gowdy on both. Do it up. All right. Have a great weekend, whatever it is you're doing. Or a great week. Sorry. (laughs) Have a great week, whatever it is you're doing. Let's get down.